Um, it's the first Sunday of October, and a few weeks ago I told you that on the first Sunday of every month we are going to have someone up here with me to do an interview, uh, kind of like Grace Gumbo, if you've ever been to that, our summer service on Wednesday nights. I think Grace Gumbo, and I said this last time, I think it's been instrumental in deepening our uh, community life, our life together here at Grace of Van, not only during the semester, during the summer, and not only on Wednesday nights, but church-wide throughout the year, I think it has been a significant contribution to growing family life here at Grace. There's just something about hearing one another's stories um, that draws us in, that we can relate to, that we uh, can then, you know, kind of... Uh, contextualize the things that we're learning as we see other people process them. Anyway, that's what we're going to do in here. Uh, Once a month, we're going to hear from one or two of you. And um, now in saying that, I know that there are some of you that loathe being in front of people. And the thought of that is just, you're going to lose sleep tonight because you're like, he's probably going to call on me and uh, (laughs) there's no way I can do that. And the person that's coming up here today is no different from you. In fact, that's why I asked her to do it this month. Um, Because if she can get up here and do this, so can you. So Tiff, will you come on up? Round of applause. Um, You don't. For those that... What can I do? No, just kidding. For those that don't know, this is my wife Tiffany. Tiffany Wade Luke, to be exact. Um, Let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us a bit about your life growing up? I grew up here in Memphis and Germantown in a Christian home. Um, Who, uh, mom and dad, were married? Yep, they're high school sweethearts. I have two little sisters. Um, My dad was an elder at the church that I grew up going to. What church was that? Germantown Presbyterian. Um, looking back, that wasn't a great church theologically, but we were there a lot. Um, most of their friends were at church. I've, I just I have a lot of good childhood memories. It was easy, and I knew I was loved. Mm-hmm. So. so your parents were uh, high school sweethearts at Harding Academy. They got married like in high school or right after? Right after. Uh, got engaged while your mom was still in high school. It's pretty... <laughs> way they did it at Harding Academy. And, uh, but you went to Harding Academy, what, K through five? Yeah. So what was life like at Harding Academy? Um, I was very sheltered, which I think was a good thing. Um, it was really small. I mean, there was one class for each grade. So, I, I mean, same people. It was like a huge deal when a new person came in fourth grade. We were like, oh my gosh, somebody new? <laughs> it's like, this is all we knew were these 15 people. So... So the first major change in your life that you can remember is you switched from Harding Academy, small private school, to Germantown Middle School, sixth grade, mm-hmm. large public school. What was that transition like? Um, it was pretty uncomfortable. All of a sudden, I wasn't in my little comfort zone with these 15 people that I've known since I was four. So... And in sixth grade, I had to, like, move classrooms, so I was just like, I don't know how to do this. Like, different teachers, what? A lot of people. Yeah. Um, 
So fast forward a little bit. When you're in eighth grade, your dad got sick. So why don't you uh, tell us about that? Um, they thought he had gallstones, so he went in for what he thought was a surgery to remove gallstones, and they found cancer. So he had this type of cancer called carcinoid. It was these slow-growing tumors. Um, the doctors thought he had probably had it for like 10 years or something and just didn't know. He was 34 at the time, 35. Um, he was still playing like on a flag football team with his friends. And so this was a big deal. He couldn't do that anymore. And the doctors in Memphis didn't know how to treat it. So he had to go to a specialist in New Orleans. So that meant that my parents were gone a lot. My grandmother would come stay with us, and she would take her little glass of milk and go to bed at, like, 7. <laughs> so, I, would, I mean, there was all this freedom now. I could just pretty much do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. So um, he was sick for three years, almost. Uh, almost three years, was there ever a point when you thought he was going to beat it, or did it ever? Did you think he was going to die from the beginning? I think I wouldn't let myself think about it. When they first found it, they gave him six months. So when he kept holding on, we were like, "Well, maybe he will beat it." Yeah. So he was thirty-four when he got, or when they found it, he was thirty-seven when he died. Um, like a week from his birthday, yeah. So 36 when he died. He had a uh, 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and had been married to his high school sweetheart for 18 years. Um, so what was life like after he died? My mom pretty much fell apart. Um, I was telling my small group a couple weeks ago, I would hear her just, like, sobbing in her room at night. And I didn't have any brothers, and I was the oldest, so I would go back there and ask her if she was okay. I mean, of course she wasn't, but I didn't know what to do. Um, We quit going to church. It was too hard for her, Um, and we just didn't go anywhere else. So I pretty much, I mean, when I started high school, I started partying, but I was just kind of dabbling, I guess you would say, because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. But the more they were gone, the more I was like, well, nobody really knows, so I'm just going to keep doing this. And then when my dad died and my mom just couldn't take it, I mean, she she was just like, whatever, do whatever you want. I really didn't have any rules. So I just started partying. Hmm. You know, um, it's, a, I think, an important lesson, and we talked about this, and, and wanting to respect her mother and understand that you can't plan for that. You don't know how you're going to respond to that. You can't pick yourself out out of the bed each day. But um, the how important it would be if something like that were to come upon you to make yourself be a part of this church. Because the burdens will be shared. They won't be fully understood. They won't be fully taken off of you. But they will be shared. And um, like Jessica's letter that was read after Everett's death, I mean, there's just the body at work, particularly when there's a member that is in such pain and chaos and disorder. Um, I, I'm not casting blame on her mother. I think that she, her mother had a very reasonable response when faced with such tragedy. Um, but it's really we have to stick these stakes in the ground before we get there because when you get there, we would all be the same. 
I mean, and just knowing that, okay, I don't know up from down, but I know that there's, I know that there's life here, and I know that there are people here that love me, and though they don't know exactly what to say and how to help, they will help, ultimately. Um, so fast forward to your junior year of college. So this happens, your junior year of high school, he dies. Um, like you said, it's kind of like this freedom that at 16, though you were grieving and sad and you kind of enjoyed the do whatever you want, what 16-year-old doesn't. And uh, so um, fast forward to your junior year of college and you go to New York. Why did you go to New York? I was a fashion merchandising manager, and I got an internship at Barney's New York under one of their buyers. So I went up there for a summer. And what does a buyer do? They This was the baby and the kids department buyer, so she chose all of the clothes that would go on the floor. Not just clothes, I mean it was toys and stuff too, but anything that would be on the floor at the store for people to buy, she chose all of it. So you got to do that, kind of like Devil Wears Prada type stuff? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the the fashion industry wasn't the only thing going on in New York. You became a Christian in New York, or at least turned back to the Lord after a long time away. Um, at least four to six years of kind of turning the other way since your dad got sick. So tell us about how that all happened in New York. Um, after he died, I wasn't opposed to church. I wasn't like, I don't remember being angry at God, like, I don't want to go to church because he did this to me. It just wasn't a priority, really. Um, and so when I was in New York, I got invited to some kind of Friday night thing. I don't know what they called it at the church. And um, A revival? <laughs> I, think it, I think they called it a youth rally. It, like had a, it was like worship and a speaker and something, but anyways. Um, I was like, yeah, sure, maybe if I have nothing better to do, I'll go. Um, my internship was Monday through Thursday. So Friday I'd planned to go to the beach, and I wasn't really planning on going. But it, this was June, and it was cold and rainy at the beach. So we had to leave. And then it was like, well, we kind of got invited to this thing, and nothing else is going on, so I guess we're going to go. Um, and I just remember this speaker uh, sharing his testimony, and he was a former gang member. I mean, he was bad. And I thought I was really bad, but I was like, oh, well, if God will take him, then I guess he'll take me too. And so it was just kind of, I think it was just this light bulb went off um, and my eyes were open to the gospel. Uh, I love that. There's a, so you leave New York a different person. Before we leave that, if you've ever heard of the uh, book or movie, The Cross and the Switchblade, David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz was a gang member in New York, and David Wilkerson was a pastor that was ministering in the streets of New York. It was Times Square Church, David Wilkerson's church. Nikki Cruz was speaking the night that she, he's an old man by now, but uh, same story. I was a gang member. If God can save me, he can save anybody. And... Uh, you know, even looking back on where you grew up, maybe that was the first time you had actually heard the gospel, yeah. you know? I mean, just like Jesus came for sinners. And uh, anyway, so you come back to um, Knoxville for your senior year. You're a different person. What was life like that year? Before we get to that, um, she was, you were in a sorority. One of the interesting things about 
us, although it's really interesting about you because your personality doesn't really fit it, but we were both recruitment chairmen for, like, for my fraternity, her sorority, so in charge of Rush. And uh, anyway, so we're very involved in the fraternity sorority life, and that's where a lot of our friends came from and that sort of thing. Um, you, you are now following the Lord. What was senior year like? I came back and I was Rush chair, and I think there were two Christians in my sorority. So here I am in charge of the new class, and I was so overwhelmed. I was like, I can't do this. This whole process is so brutal. But I really didn't have a choice. I mean, I got back from New York, I think, a week before. So, I I mean, I would have ruined the whole thing if I said I couldn't do it. Um, My roommates were sorority sisters, and they were just like, what happened to you? I mean, if you're not going to go get drunk with us, then we have no reason to be your friend. So I still lived with them, but it was super awkward. We hardly even spoke. I mean, it was just, it was hard. I really, I think I had one friend that semester, and I just remember sitting in my apartment and reading my Bible. That's like what I did on the weekends. Like Friday night. Oh, yeah. That was pretty much what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I could relate to that because, you know, it's just a product of where we had wandered to. You know, when I became a Christian, I was in a similar spot. I mean, I had one friend that I knew was a Christian. And I knew other Christians, but I was very far removed from him at the time. And so I would sit with my friend and read our Bibles on Friday night. But, you know, uh, anyway, obviously things, you, you get more socially able to engage, I guess. But for where we were, there just, there was a needed removal, I think, from that lifestyle. Like, get out process and wait to go back but um not long after that we started dating and got engaged and got married and it all happened just about that fast um one of the reasons i kicked it into overdrive in my pursuit of her is because i thought she was going to move back to new york so she had had this huge internship in new york and what's not to like about new york in a fashion internship that's going to turn into a good job so um I don't know if you know this, but I told her I wanted to marry her before we ever had a date. And, uh, you know, people ask me what I think about dating. So I, I, I don't know. You should probably ask someone else. But uh, So she married me. Uh, we moved to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi instead of New York City. And uh, New York Which City... Which I've probably never heard of. Yeah, I, I mean, I had never heard of until we... Not St. Louis, Bay St. Louis. Yeah. New York City has something like 8 to 10 million people. Bay St. Louis has 5,000 people. So it was... uh, um, We look back on those years, our first two years of marriage in Bay St. Louis as very wonderful. Um, And they were wonderful. But the reality is that they're also very difficult at times. So describe some of the difficulty of those years. The only job I could find was in Gulfport, 30 minutes away, working at a furniture store. And so if so, you're not in New York, retail kind of limits you, yeah. particularly when you live in a small town and there's no retail. That was not my plan to sell furniture. But um, I had to work every Saturday, and he was super flexible. So he was out in the community meeting people, and I'm, like, stuck in this furniture store. till like, 6 p.m.? Yeah. Or 8? No, not 8. Well, yeah, it was late. It wasn't then good. there was a commute. So it just wasn't that cool. I felt really disconnected. Um, and not to mention, I was 
here I am a wife and I want to cook dinner and keep our clothes clean and I really just didn't have time to. So I, I didn't, I don't think I felt this like burden of duty, like, oh, I should be doing this, but I wanted to and I couldn't. And I was a lot more flexible, so I was doing a lot of those things and she would get home from work and be like, you know, I, it was just kind of a burden that first year, I, a growing burden. And the most overwhelming thing was I didn't know how to cook, so I needed a lot of time <laughs> and I didn't have time, so, um, yeah. Some, so some of the difficulties related to work and desires for home and all of that, but there are also some other things. <laughs> um, <Go on. laughs> you, you had two miscarriages while we were living there. Yes. Um, though I was just so sad for a couple months because the first time, I mean, we weren't really planning on having a baby, so we got really excited. We told everybody because you never think you're going to have a miscarriage, and so then we go in for the ultrasound and they can't have the heartbeat. I mean, they can't find the heartbeat and we had told everyone. So we had to deal with people coming up to us and asking how far along I was and I had to tell them. And then I like almost felt worse for them for asking. It was just bad. And then a couple months after the first one, I had another one. And after that one, I was more angry. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I even get pregnant if I'm going to lose it? Um, so that was, really hard and really sad but I think um, my faith really grew and I really I learned to trust the Lord a lot more after that just he gives and he takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord hmm. uh, some of the reasons we loved it there were and we loved our church we were invested in our church's mission to reach this community that was devastated by Hurricane Katrina. So it's just this unique opportunity to really be a part of something that we loved the mission. And we made great friends. The pace of life there was much, much slower, which some of you could dream about and say, that sounds nice. You know, uh, it was nice. And not to mention we lived two blocks from the ocean. So, you know, there's a lot to be desired. But another reason we loved it so much is because God so significantly shaped us while we lived there. Um, looking back, it's like God kicked our sanctification into overdrive for a couple years. And frankly, we really needed it. And it usually hurts when God shapes us. Um, it's difficult, but it's wonderful. You know, I look at even her suffering through miscarriage, which many of you no is or infertility and those kinds of things is a crippling type of suffering for a woman also for a man in a much different way because you want to love your wife and have no idea how to best care for her in her pain and um so i look at that time and it you can only look at those times in the rearview mirror with such perspective i think it helps to know that god is up to something good ultimately while you're there but um it was very difficult. It's also wonderful because God is changing you into more of like Christ. And to quote Greg Strawn, who said this on Gumbo this summer, it's sweet agony. That's what the Christian life is. It's sweet agony. And uh, sometimes all we feel is the agony and no sweetness. But uh, God will give you glimpses of the sweetness. And um, anyway, so we moved back to Memphis about three and a half years ago. Uh, why don't you talk 
about some of the fears that you've had to face in relation to our calling here? Um, stuff like this. I don't have his gifts. Yeah. Like, namely this? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing now? I'm not comfortable just walking up to people I don't know and starting conversation. I'm really bad at it. And, I, I mean, that's not a good reflection of him when his wife is, like, standoffish and not friendly. So that's hard. <laughs> I swear I want to know people. I just, it's hard for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's true. But uh, at the same time, I mean, there's unnecessary pressures that other people may put on you or that you put on yourself and, um, you know, things that we have to work through. But, you know, that's the thing she's always like. People probably think I'm just arrogant and angry but really I'm just nervous and my face gets stoic you know it's like it's just a way you know um, you also said something I thought was pretty uh, profound this morning talking about this about other fears that you face with this kind of work um, this is his job so if he were to lose it then we it's not like okay, well, let's just find another job. We would lose our whole church family, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I don't hadn't really thought about it that way. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> That's right. So get to work. Um, you know, I think there's a good lesson in that for us here, for all of us. Um, too often I think I hear people say things like, you know, an opportunity comes up and that's not me, I'm not called to that, and those judgments are made based on personality assessments. Um, That just doesn't fit my personality. And I would just say that that's not the way the Christian life works. If, If it does, then she's doing something wrong, you know. But it's been an encouragement to me because we know that this is for God's glory. We exist for God's glory, we serve for God's glory, we, the church is for God's glory. Um... And one of the ways that God consistently gets glory, that His name would be exalted and not ours, is that He calls you to areas where you're weak. Um, Because in your weakness, He is strong. And He gets glorified. I was thinking of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul says, Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And um, I think that it's, that's a theme running throughout here, both in suffering and in uh, perceived weakness and gifting and personality and all of that. Yet God ministers in and, and through Tiffany in that. One of my favorite examples of this is John Piper, who is arguably the greatest preacher of our day. And um, when he was in high school, couldn't take speech class because he got so anxious that he literally couldn't breathe and couldn't speak. And so he goes to a college and he knows if I'm ever going to pass college, I'm going to have to get through speech class. I mean, he writes, there's a chapter in one of his books that goes into great detail about this, but this was a long-term struggle for him where he pleaded with God and hung on to Scripture about his anxieties and weaknesses and asked God to be strong in his weakness. And ultimately, he was, so he could pass speech class. Little did he know he would be a powerful preacher. Um, Anyway, I just, I love that. So, um, all right, now we're running out of time, but 
you work full time as a wife and mom, so uh, you never get a day off. And uh, is there anything you want to say about marriage and parenting? Um, I think just simply that it's a lot harder than I thought it would be, but it's a lot more joyful too. That's a good answer. Um, does anybody have any questions for Tiff or for me or for us? And this isn't just a family ordeal, you know. My brother was up here last time. <laughs> uh, you know, it is a family ordeal, but uh, they're just the people that I knew that would do it if I asked them first. So that I could make do it. But now I'm going to make some of you, or at least ask you. Um, how about a hand for Tiff? Very good. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are indeed thankful, Lord, to hear yet again of how you have called one of your own um, out of darkness into this marvelous light uh, in Christ, Lord, uh, even through great pain and loss and tragedy. You are faithful, and uh, Lord, striking to see that uh, not only will we suffer when we're not walking with you, we'll suffer with you too, but we go through the valley of the shadow of death knowing that you are with us, and uh, Lord, it's often slow, it's often more painful than we could have ever imagined, but uh, we thank you that you're with us. We know that you're faithful, we know that you're good, and we pray that you would Plant those troops, uh, truths deeper in our souls today, having heard some of Tiffany's story. Lord, I thank you for uh, this fellowship and pray that you continue to strengthen and grow it. Our desire is to love you and serve you and follow you. And we do desire, Lord, to reach the world around us for Christ. So as you continue to uh, strengthen our fellowship here, we recognize that it is what the rest of the world longs for and seeks after. And would you bring more and more people to come to find satisfaction in their souls in knowing you and loving you and knowing your people uh, and living life together. So we uh, commit this to you. We thank you for this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.